You know one thing I realized when I was playing my team tournament uh, this past weekend? Which I did kind of tweet about. What's that? I am so tired of playing Pioneer. I'm just <laughs> so tired. Dude, I Atlanta Regionals is really Pioneer. Like, Yeah, of course it is. So three of four regionals that we've had are Pioneer. And yeah. all of the ones that I have qualified for are Pioneer. Yeah. Brutal. Like, I, I don't <laughs> mind Pioneer. It's just so much of it. Yeah. God. It feels like I'd rather play Standard. I, I would certainly play Standard now. I haven't played it in so long. And there's another... But the next one is Modern, right? The next one is Modern. That one will be exciting. Okay, but the, the current one, yeah, is, is Pioneer still. <laughs> I'm actually kind of excited for Modern. I've been enjoying it. I think it's... Uh... A little wild westy right now but it's still so impacted by lord of the rings cards that it's like kind of fun to explore all this different stuff yeah i mean i've been playing so much modern there's like definitely weirdness about it but i i don't know i've enjoyed myself you, you gotta think you gotta you gotta remember that i've been trapped in pioneer jail for a while yeah i know it remains my favorite format. Like I played so much modern to like to prepare for, for this, and and I don't know. I just continue to prefer Pioneer. Not sure why. We could maybe we could dive dive into that. Even though I am tired of Pioneer, and I do not generally like the format. I don't really get tired of playing it that much because I love playing Lotus Field. Like if I can just play that deck all the time, I'm game. I just love playing that deck. Yeah, I hate that deck so much (laughs) (laughs) i uh i was gonna say like i do like playing pioneer because i like playing magic where we pay mana for our spells i just like generally prefer that we like all kind of agree to the Mm. rules of magic and follow the rules of magic but then you pay you play like the one deck that doesn't actually obey those rules in pioneer I, I'm not about following the rules of magic. I think that's what makes magic a fun game is that you don't have to follow the rules. Well, but <laughs> like, I think that the, the thing about modern is just like, you have to not follow the, like you must be playing. Elementals. Yeah. You must be playing elementals and, and or force negation or something. Yeah. Yeah. I get it. I do feel like every time I pitch a card to solitude, like I just feel like I'm going to lose because like the, the format I play the most is limited and it's like, Oh, I just discarded two cards. Oh yeah. You're just and ob- you know, obviously I know I've actually put myself ahead by doing that, but it's just like, like being behind on cards feels so much worse to me than being behind on mana. Dude, the worst feeling is when you cast a March of wretched sorrow and you're just like, I just paid mana and two cards to kill a creature here. Like this is a, a really raw deal. Oh, I don't think I'll ever have that problem. Like I, that's one of the, like, I think that's a card that I'll never cast. I think that you're probably better off. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 302 of the MTG Grindcast, the spikiest podcast in all of North, all of Central North Carolina. We are your hosts. I'm Chris Castor Apple. With me is Lee McLeod. Hey Lee. Hey Chris. You couldn't. You didn't want to go for the all of North Carolina. Uh, I don't know, man. I we're live. Like I'm all. <laughs> the pressure is so high. You know. I've done this so many times, and somehow I still have to like think about it a little bit each time. 
You haven't cornered your one out of 50 state market. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but I do also want to introduce our guest joining us for a repeat appearance. See, maybe third time. Yeah. So you're up there with mm-hmm. Jarvis as our, our most guest appearances. But Let's Nick go. Price is here. Hey, everybody. What's up? Our, our favorite Filipino magician joining us again. Qualified for this pro tour, unfortunately, due to the difficulties that Filipino players face getting visas to European countries, to the United States. Again, uh, not going to be making it to this pro tour unless, you know, a a, a midnight miracle happens tonight. So crossing our fingers for that one. But uh, Nick, welcome. Uh, I'm sorry that we're not having you here under, you know, more exciting circumstances. Hey, no, I'm, I'm super happy to be here. If I, I mean, if I if I could get a W this week, it would be like managing to be a guest on the podcast the same no- number of times as Jarvis. Uh, pretty <laughs> pretty honored for that. Um, yeah, I mean, we, we'll talk about it a little bit more, but um, you know, there's still a chance I could make it. I, I don't know what percent I, I'd put that like probability at, but uh, this is an ideal time to record the podcast because if, if in the next you know couple of hours I. Two or three hours, I need to be awake. If I get an email from the embassy that says, you know, your visa is good to go, I, I, I rush over there, get my my passport like stamped to the visa, and probably head like directly to the airport from there or, or something like that. <laughs> like book a flight at the airport, which like uh, uh, people haven't done since like I don't know the eighties. <laughs> no, like catch me if you can type type moment. I yeah. do. I, I do love that movie. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. We talked a little bit. It just sucks. You apply for a visa, it gets denied. It's a very like black box sort of situation where you can't really tell like why it was or what you could have done to make a difference. I don't know what what your additional thoughts are on this, but it is unfortunate. Yeah, I mean, you're completely right about it being like a, a black box. Um, when when you're when you get a visa re- rejected, I, I'm not sure if it's the case with all embassies, but I, you know, I got one from the from the Spanish embassy. With, it was kind of a form letter with like a list of reasons why the visa was rejected, and um, it was kind of vague. Like it didn't point to any specific deficiencies in my application. There there was one point that I I, I admit that I could have like improved on, but but that point was like having not having enough money in my bank account, so. That was not really something I was in a position to to correct. So if that's the reason why they, <laughs> yeah, that's, if that's, a, that's a tough one to just. If, fix, yeah. if, if that's the reason that they ultimately rejected me, then that yeah, that fair fair play beats, I guess. Kind of brutal though, just like a, and and you know, like I I understand the like logic behind it, but what a like. Yeah, you don't have enough money, so we're not going to let you. Just like every <laughs> single thing in the world favors people with money, and then it's just to state it clearly, like, yeah, you, there's not enough money. I'm sorry, you can't come in. Like, yeah, yeah. Uh, there's actually a sort of a set of guidelines for for different countries about how much money you should expect to have per like number of days that you want to travel for. So I, I don't know exactly what it is for Spain, but for Italy, it's something like you know, it's recommended that you that you have about a hundred euro per day of your trip. Yeah, I mean that. So that 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 kind of information exists for you to be able to, to refer to. But in the end, like it's really just completely opaque, and you you can feel like you submitted a very strong application, but you know it, it might just not matter because. Th- it's not just about my application. I'm, I'm pretty sure that they have quotas as well. There's just like a bunch of 
different things for them to consider. And for whatever reason, I just didn't make the cut. Yeah, we can only let in 10 Magic players a year. So, you know, it's tough. No, but that that sucks. And it's it is not something that we generally have to deal with because, you know, United States listeners are European listeners, you know, these deals have been worked out and you don't need a visa to travel. And it's not something that I ever thought about. You know, I went to Europe for a year and just kind of like bummed around, you know, I was based in Germany and then I was just able to like bum around Europe. And it's like a piece of privilege that I don't think about or reflect on too much. So I think it's good to be aware that, you know, a lot of people and a lot of our friends who play magic just don't have access to all of the same things that we do and frustrating when it keeps somebody from getting to the tournament they qualified for. Yep. I mean, for, for my region, at least um, one of the first, one of the first things that happens after someone qualifies for a pro tour, like, you know, you top eight, the RC, the first question you have to ask is, are you going like, do you have, yeah. like, do you already have a visa? So there is kind of a, a, a additional layer of, like there's an additional step to qualification that that a lot of people just uh, you know don't have. I, I will point point out that it is pretty ironic that like I was denied a visa to Spain, which is a country that occupied and colonized the Philippines for 300 years, yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and and like you know and just, has just evaluated that that me you know a former subject or whatever cannot enter for for a uh, for an event. So it, there's there's a little bit of like extra like uh, sad irony there yeah very ironic i agree um yeah i mean like i guess i don't know how, how you kind of want to approach it but we can I, I could we could go straight into like the modern discussion or i could talk a bit about how like getting a visa actually works because like you know there's some interesting points to it where where you you know you got to kind of hit the you got to like check the boxes of on your application and make sure that you you can actually make it but i don't know if that would be I don't know if that that'd be interesting. Like people want to hear about modern, I'm sure. Too technical. Well, I think that we can spend a couple of minutes and I think that the probably the best way to approach it would be, you know, after your experience and since you've done this a, a number of times, like if you have any advice or things that you think obviously like perhaps the thing that kept you from being able to go was just not having enough money. Well, that's not really a fixable thing for most people, but other things that people could try to do well on their applications that that would help them in the future because you have gotten visas before for tournaments right so you know the whole money thing is still weird to me because different countries have vastly different like required money to live mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so like europe is going to be more expensive than you know something like brazil just as an example it's just so weird that it like yeah that they expect a bunch of like if you're going to europe you gotta live you know (laughs) european yeah i mean so so that that is interesting because i think um you know there are different kinds of visas right they're like they're like student visas and work visas and tourist visas and like kind of like sporting event visas and i wish that magic qualified uh, for like that type of visa because i would be able to apply through kind of that different channel with like a different set of requirements but really like when you apply when someone from from the philippines or another country in southeast asia and perhaps or certain like places in south america not 100 percent sure like the the main question that that 
I, I'm, I'm pretty sure the main question that uh, embassies and consulates like are looking to answer like in your application is do you have strong ties to your home country because because in the end their concern and the reason why they want me to have enough money in the bank account and the reason why I would have a better chance of getting applied if I were married, the reason why I would have a higher chance of getting approved if I owned land, if I had a higher chance of getting approved if I had a full-time job, is because they don't want me to overstay the visa and look for a job illegally in that country. And it's, it's kind of a weird, like, it, it like cuts both ways because like that is a, a problem that that European countries and the United States obviously I wouldn't say they're dealing with but it's just the pe- people just go to Europe or, or America to work you know maybe they have a work visa maybe they don't and that's kind of their first concern where like am I going for a magic tournament or am I going there to to get a job and it's it's difficult without those things that I said, like I, I don't own land, I'm not married, for me to prove that I have very strong ties and I actually want to come back. Unfortunately, they, they weren't swayed by by me talking about my two-year-old Maltese dog. <laughs> <laughs> Should have put pictures of her or him on the application, you know, just dog pictures interspersed throughout. Yes, I will. I would never leave this dog. A lawyer friend of mine th- like mentioned that I might, I should have done that. Maybe like you know, any whatever extra info might help mm-hmm. you know swing the application from a no to a yes who knows the official position of the mgg grindcast is that uh borders are fake and that visas are not a process that should exist and there's no such thing as illegal immigration so you know that's i i not agree helpful in any way yeah but just to put our support out into the world i mean I, that's a topic i could go in on the Especially in the United States, because I know a lot more about it. <laughs> but we, we don't have to go there today. <laughs> no, we should probably talk about modern and maybe even a little Lord of the Rings, if if you feel Ooh, like it. I don't yeah. know how much you worked on the limited format. I I worked infinite. Uh, I, I drafted infinite. Yeah. yeah, that's what I would expect from you. <laughs> My view of the limited format is very weird, because I'll like, tune into streams here and there and just like catch like half a draft or a quarter of a draft and just like kind of barely know what the cards do uh and then i'll see opinions on twitter that are like very hyperbolic <laughs> so i'm not really sure what to make of it yeah it's interesting um uh, yeah i mean we, we could we could talk about it more definitely but this is like one of the kind of rare sets where the best cards are like colorless artifacts so you're gonna see those those bombs whenever they're opened because like anyone could play them and you know i think i think this format's great drafted it a lot not not just because i was preparing but because i enjoyed it like i do most if not all limited formats so i mean i'd love to talk about both modern and draft since um i have i've prepared a lot and it would be nice to use it on something yeah and i actually have been drafting a fair bit mostly between rounds of the challenges that i've been playing because <laughs> i like have to do something and i really don't want to end up double queuing on moto so i tend to just like hop in arena queues because i can scoop those games if i really need to but i've been enjoying it too i end up in like a grixis deck like 90 percent of the time or something like that but the decks are fun at least oh yeah that kind of shard is definitely like the place that you want to be for for this event i tested with uh with a team you know the world worldly council team who were also at the last 
uh, Pro Tour, and this is this is the group consisting of Zen Takahashi and many other players who you will hear about at the at the at the Pro Tour. Like I I I, I think the team make will make up about like ten percent of the Pro Tour field. So it's kind of funny like how large of a group we are, and we definitely did a lot of limited testing for the event. Can we do like a general overview of what you think about the format, and then dive in deeper? Yeah, I mean, I think I think the first thing um, that I'll point out is that um, I think I'm pretty sure on 17 lands, this is like, you know, I think it's best of, best of one data, but this is like one of the fastest formats in terms of number of turns recently, and we've had like some like a couple of very fast formats recently, and that's interesting because in in my play experience, and I think in it, other people might have experienced that as well. Like it doesn't seem like a particularly aggressive format. You know, there there are some snowbally rares, but it does feel like a format where you can play your cards, you know, make meaningful decisions. So I think in terms of turns, it, you know, you do want to get on the board quickly, but that's not necessarily because like you're trying to kill your opponent as quickly as possible, but because you need bodies in play for your cards that tempt. And that would be the second thing that that you know most interesting about the format is that there was a, when the set was spoiled or started to be spoiled, uh, temp as a mechanic got kind of like lukewarm feedback or reviews or reactions, and because it's such a you know it's such a complicated mechanic that kind of looks like a dungeon but is not actually a dungeon, and it turns out that to me it like really meaningfully contributes to a complex to, you know to complex games where you make a lot of decisions. Um, mm-hmm. And it kind of encourages you to to play with creatures and to enter combat, which you know, I like those things about limited. Yeah, it gives you like this looter ill core emblem, basically, where you just like try to keep making unblockable looters and try to stop your opponent from having an unblockable looter. And like a decent number of games like revolve around just like controlling your opponent's ring bearer and trying to continue attacking with your ring bearer, whether or not you get up to like the level four that actually murders them. But Mm -hmm. like staying at five lands and casting spells to get the their like one power blockers out of the way and stuff has been like a big part of a lot of the games that I've played. Yeah, I mean, one of the one of the things I think many people would have would have discovered just playing the format a reasonable amount is that temp is very strong, and it's actually something that the you know, temp effects work very well together. So, you know, if you have one or two temp cards, you're very likely to to want to prioritize other temp cards. So, you you know, a lot of decks will end up just being a two color deck with a bunch of creatures and a bunch of tempt effects. And mm-hmm. those do tend to be the kinds of decks that have done, that I've done well with in, in draft leagues on magic online. Yeah. yeah. The, the tempt mechanic really does feel like what dungeons should have been in the first place. Like it's, it doesn't look clean when you look at the token card mm-hmm. for the first time, but it plays cleanly. Like it just is clean. Yeah, very you know, very intuitive. I mean, obviously there there are some memory issues that I would imagine like cropping up in paper, especially the the third the third mode, like a delayed trigger. I, I can imagine that that coming up and it being like kind of devastating for either for either player. And I'm not sure, but <laughs> memory issues aside, I think that it, it, it's kind of a slam dunk mechanic in terms of how it affects limited gameplay. And it, it's weird. It is repetitive, but I don't know, like it, it just you just get to do so many things around that damp sub game that I I find like hopping into the next draft queue just very exciting after finishing it, my my previous draft. 
Yeah, I, I have found it pretty fun. I think in some ways, this is a format where like the gameplay is better, is more fun than the drafting, which is kind of rare because I, you know, love drafting. But mm. every once in a while, one comes around where the games themselves are really like the standout part of the format. And, and to me, that has been true of this one. We're just like the individual games are like so interesting and there's like a ton of little micro decisions that the creature you put the ring on on turn two or the blocking with this two power thing instead of letting them get damage through like can kind of reverberate like way down the line in the game and i i find them the games to be really interesting or like figuring out if you're racing or if you're trying to trade can can just like have a a really big deal with these especially the temp mechanic kind of like exacerbates all of these decisions i think yeah, have either of you drafted the the Zenith Flare deck in Arcoria or in? Uh, I'm talking about I'm talking about the back one, pick one Gandalf sanction, and yeah. and just take as many spells as you can. And I mean, the spells are good. Birthday Escape is like the the best blue common or top two, and that you know that that is a sweet deck to draft and probably my favorite kind of like main like sub archetype when when that comes up. If it's any indication of like how good. Temp, getting tempted is a card that's one blue mana draw a card and then get tempted Tempt. by the ring like one blue mana draw a card not playable unless you have like a ton of spell synergies but mm-hmm. add tempt onto it and it becomes like perhaps the best common uh in blue there's a raise dead that tempts you Sam's yeah, that card, that card is so and that's good. one it- of the best it's so good and you know you never put raise dead in your deck if you can help it but when you get tempted as well, like it becomes top three black commons. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, um, I, I kind of agree with you that the, the the gameplay experience is more fun to me than the draft experience. But but I think the you know the, the exception to that is is like the various is it decks you can draft because you know you mm-hmm. you're going you're you're going into it. You know that temp is a is a great mechanic. Uh, you want as many of those effects as possible, but you also want like you also have kind of a spells matter theme, just like a little bit of that. So, you know, you want you want tempt cards, you want creatures, but you don't want too many creatures because you want your you know your spells to to pop off. So I think that like that is a very interesting draft experience when you find yourself in Is it and you're not quite sure where you fall. Is it like am I gonna take the Gandalf sanction or am I gonna take the Bilbo? Like it's probably the Bilbo, mm-hmm. but you know, I I, I I I like just like jamming as many spells as I can. Yes. Yeah. That that is really fun, and then you can kind of like tie it all together with, you know, spells that make creatures, which are kind of like doing everything mm-hmm. for you, and and the amass cards, especially the black yeah. ones, are are really strong. Yep, and that's also why rally is um rally. What's that card called? Rat. Uh, I just I just know it as rally. Like it's the best red common. Rally at the Hornburg. Yeah, there. Oh sure, the that just makes two one ones with, with haste. haste. Yeah, yep. and gives your other humans haste. Yeah, that just like incredible card incredible card and then if you combine it with that like hill giant legend guy that like oh just yeah turns it turns your two drop into an overrun when you cast it like those turns are, are brand really yep. nice yeah yeah any any hot takes or you know things that you think about the format that may not be obvious to even people that have drafted a fair bit of it so i mean at this point it's probably not the hottest take but I think I think I think it qualifies is that is that green is just like not as bad as as people think and though I mean you know I guess it depends like if you're if you're like super plugged into the into the like the limited Twitter space 
then you know for for a while you would have kind of accepted that yeah green is the worst color and a lot of the times i should avoid that but there are definitely ways to, to get into green especially when it's it's underdrafted at the table which is going to be a lot of the time and there are just like a lot mm-hmm. of green cards like there there are a lot of green cards that are they're just like very very good on rate and if you end up with multiples of those and if you can kind of corner the green market at that table you're going to end up with a pretty strong deck what kind of green decks have you had success with first of all i'll talk about the green decks i i i do not recommend drafting i have not had success with, <laughs> and that is like the green white food deck so the thing is is like it's the same thing as like the blue red spells um tension where you know you you have a lot of you have temp effects there are you know temp is like def- definitely the best thing you could be doing uh, there are some human synergies and then like green white ca- kind of wants to be this like food snowball like combo like grindy deck and there are you know there are several cards that 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 like pay you off for having a bunch of food like a uh, mushroom watch watchdogs but i find that 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 you just don't have good enough payoffs and it kind of asks you you for a lot it's like you're creating like a bunch of food tokens and you're maybe not developing your board presence as much as you'd want to with a bunch of tempt effects and you just end up with a kind of deck that's neither here nor there so green white not a huge fan of that but i do love green black because black is the best color and you know black supports several drafters at the table because the commons are so deep so if you just end up, you know, if you if you take a couple of good black cards early and you see that the other colors are cut, you can just take a bunch of uh, four or five tramples that tempt, uh, or the four or two that tempt when it dies, and those are just like very good cards that really mm-hmm. they don't ask a lot of you. They're just they're just strong cards. You know, they're, they're, there's no setup cost there, and you just build like a strong uh, deck full of like four power beaters and tempt effects and good removal. Actually, um, Sam Black's most recent episode on you know in his drafting archetypes podcast his most recent episode was on green black and i think it's really helpful if you want to understand how to draft this format and take advantage of those drafts where green is so wide open that you kind of get forced into it yeah for sure like i, ha- I haven't even gotten to like listen to the to, to those episodes because there's just so much content and mm-hmm. you know we're you know we're kind of like working on the format together as, as a team in, in our discord um so yeah, I mean, there's just so much info out there if you want to like really dial into the Lord of the Rings draft format. I kind of avoided drafting it for a little while for no real reason, just because I was doing other things. But I'm glad that I got in the drafts that I did because now I get to like be excited for Pro Tour coverage of the draft rounds rather than just kind of like skip over them. And I, I do love watching pro tour draft rounds when i have played a decent amount of the format and understand what's going on and then i can know like what i'm supposed to be surprised by or like what i i didn't understand going in and can can actually learn things so that that is nice the only problem is that the draft rounds start at five in the morning my time so Mm. you know i i may be watching vods of those rather than catching it live yeah one other thing that's interesting is that like i i feel like because we're we're able to you know we have limited portions of pro tours again like while you know the podcast content creators are still going to be going all in on producing the best content and you know they're not going to hold anything back i do think that you know there's a little bit less info going out on on magic like limited twitter um i know Mm -hmm. i i've like tweeted nothing about this format 
except maybe a couple of screenshots and not, you know, not that, not Which that is I pretty had, rare I, for you. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, not that I had anything like unique to say, but it's just interesting because you have like a lot of limited players who are qualified for the pro tour and, you know, we're not, we're not really, we're, you know, we prefer to kind of work with our team and come to those conclusions rather than just, just tweet them out. So I, I haven't like been into limited Twitter, like over the, sorry, limited X over the past, uh, like <laughs> since the release of LOTR, so I kind of kind of interested to like go go there and be like mm, after the pro tour, like what 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 people said about the format, how how was I wrong? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So should be good. I will not. So I I will probably be co streaming part of the pro tour, but I will probably not be co streaming the limited rounds because of the fact that they're at five a.m. Eastern standard time so not dedicated enough to the grind that's what you're telling us no but it's like probably a good way of not burning myself out trying to like you know (laughs) the top eight starts at 4 a.m on our time though so i don't really know what my plan is for handling that exactly (laughs) my plan is to wake up when i wake up and put it on it's still on because it is early like for for the past two or three pro tours um because of the, the you know the schedule hasn't quite worked out for me to watch it live i've I've tried to just avoid any any info about it like about the top eight <laughs> on, yeah. just i just haven't I just try 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 really not to hard. go on social media just watch the vods yeah it, it failed every time so yeah especially since the last pro tour i think it was like legitimately very strong mm-hmm. like there was a lot of good stuff going on yeah. around it it was a great event mm-hmm. all right but for the rest of this pro tour we are having our first modern pro tour in a very, very long time. Got years, years yeah. and years and years. So this is very exciting. I, you know, last last time we had a modern pro tour, like humans and Tron were in the top eight. This time, you know, mm-hmm. Tron might be in the top eight, but probably not humans. Very, very different modern format from pro tours past. We have talked about it pretty extensively over the past several episodes it's been what I've been playing mainly. I've been playing like two challenges a weekend of it. And most of my matches during the week just are to prep for that. Defined heavily at first by the One Ring after the release of the Lord of the Rings. That has died down a little bit. Obviously, the One Ring still a huge presence. But mm-hmm. Orcish Bowmaster is now the most played card in the format. And Rakdos Scam, at least online, by far the most heavily played deck and also just winning a lot even given that it is very heavily played so that's kind of our starting place here i'm excited for the pro tour because generally in larger formats in pioneer and modern the best deck of the format does not succeed in the pro tour itself because players know what they're doing and don't show up with a deck that's going to just lose to the best deck but this Rakdos deck is very strong and not the easiest thing in the world to attack. So I, I'm really interested in, in hearing your thoughts on like where this format is going and what you think is going to happen at the Pro Tour. You know, I, I personally didn't expect Scam to to be such a huge force in the metagame over the past week. Like I, I was expecting the ring decks to kind of, you know, occupy the space at the top at the top tier of the format. Like I, I in, in testing, I had, you know, rec- recognized that Bowmaster was was annoying for for ring decks but i felt that i usually had the tools to be able to deal with it uh before it got it got too out of hand um but that's because like i was playing 
almost exclusively, you know, four color Omnath or four color ring, which as a deck, mm-hmm. you know, th- doesn't care that much about Bowmasters, but I do see how, you know, the rest of the metagame would have a much harder time blanking Bowmasters. So, you know, that, that, that that's how it panned out. And, and it definitely, you know, we, we definitely tried to answer the questions of like, how, how do you, how do you deal with a scam deck? And I think that the problem is, and it's similar to why, why I chose to, to submit a uh, four color ring is that scams is like pretty difficult to target in the sideboard. Um, and, mm-hmm. you know, I, right. I'm sure, I'm sure that this is something that, you know, y'all have talked about you you recognize in your in your own testing but like a huge like swath of the modern metagame has very specific uh sideboard cards that are very effective against them and a lot of those decks have overlap right so like chalice of the void is just good against a bunch of different decks um you know you, you can put that in your sideboard and just be strong against rhinos and and living end you know for looking for for sideboard cards that are good against scam specifically it's like fury is the best card against them like yeah it's, exactly no, like yeah hammer. yeah it's it's fury it's veil of summer and that's you know that's that's pretty much it um and i think <laughs> you know and and that that's kind of also why i decided to play Four color. I think in the end, of, you know, a very small number of people on our team decided to to register that deck, and that's because, um, you know, the, the the concerns and their valid concerns is that the deck takes too long to win. There, there's concerns about like actually drawing during the tournament, and also just that like you don't have you don't have just like a powerful combo finish to like end the game quick. Like you need to be able to cast the ringer on that and kind of snowball for, from there. But the reason I wanted to mm-hmm. play it is because of that's like the, that scam aspect or, you know, the, is that, is that, that there, there aren't that many sideboard cards that are just good against the pitch elementals. It's a very safe deck. Basically. Yeah. And I, and you know, we, I, I've, I've talked a bit about it in, in my, my previous, my previous appearances here is that I, I like mid range decks. I like, decks with like a lot of decisions i am very much not a combo player you know i played grixis mid-range at the at the rc that i top aided when when people were kind of like low on that deck and wanted to play esper legends or something else yeah i just think that it's a, it's a very safe deck and the strength the other strength that deck that aside from it being difficult to kind of tar- target in the sideboard is that it also to me just has the best sideboard in the format you have four colors of like maybe even five colors to play with yeah. and just you, you know you, you can target any deck you want to as as hard as you want to right and your main deck removal is so versatile that you can like make your reactive suite like craft it you know it, the, mapping out the four color sideboard plans is pretty satisfying because you get to like include whether you are keeping in leyline bindings or prismatic ending as part of your like answer suite and and that definitely a powerful adaptable deck and one of the few decks that is like structurally sound against Rakdos, which is kind of the only way to have a good matchup against it because as you said you can't just bring in haymakers like a deck that's bad against Rakdos and then brings in veil of summers is still going to be bad against Rakdos. like your deck needs yeah. to be good against their like multiple different versions of their draws yep and that's exactly what happened in in our testing against scam where you know we got scammed maybe they act, you know they ended up with a fury in play uh two, two cards that got discarded from my hand but as long as i had halflings and land drops you know mm-hmm. i can just draw the on math and 
that 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 would be more difficult for for other for other decks to come back from. I know I know we you know creativity definitely has the capacity to come back from from getting scammed because they don't need a lot to get going. You know, Tron has good top decks, but like when your when your best top deck is a four drop, you know that doesn't ask that much of you, and it it really gives you like the best chances to come back from having your hand ripped apart in the first turn. Yes, or even just like. If they play a normal like Rakdos start, that's just like a a Thoughtseize and a Ragavan or whatever, and they're just like kind of chewing through your resources, but you have a lot of draws that that put you up a couple resources. The other decks that I have found that I am fine getting paired up against Rakdos with are decks that I don't think are like fundamentally sound decks in general, I guess. So, like, Demir Ring and the Mono Black Ring deck, like, both of those are, you know, I I have felt do a pretty good job at beating up on Rakdos. But then you just play against other stuff. Literally mm-hmm. anything else. <laughs> and your cards all cost, like, three or four mana. Like, the card counter spell is very good. And it's, like, the best card in the deck, except for when you need the one, like, obviously the one ring is doing its thing, but Counterspell is so good, and it's, like, the the best Counterspell deck that I've played in Modern, but then you, like, play against Tron with either of those decks, and you're like, oh, well, this is, like, a 20% matchup for me. I don't really understand how I ever win this, and just, like, a lot of the decks in the format that are doing Modern things rather than doing the mid-rangey uh, Rakdos thing or the, the Scam thing, like, they're just doing stuff that you can't deal with with these, like, moderately expensive interaction suites or in the case of mono black just having like 11 plus main deck removal spells like there's a lot of decks you lose to when you have 11 plus main deck removal spells and really only the ring as like real card advantage yep and i mean it's it's interesting where um i I don't know if modern has has been in this kind of place recently but um you know, since the release of, of Modern Horizons 2, right? Where, where um, it, it's kind of the pioneer problem where you have a bunch of fate, like you have a bunch of fatal pushes in your hand, and you just play against like, like is it creativity? Where and I think you know <laughs> that that that's like a pretty well known issue with the blue black ring deck where you could just have a bunch of spell pierces against against the creature deck or you know fatal pushes against against Tron or whatever. And I, I do feel that playing the four C deck, as as we said before, like it kind of deals with that problem the best where you just have the most like you have just like the broadest coverage across different matchups and you know you, your deck will always improve you know post sideboard yeah the best part about the lore color decks removal suite is that half of them are just creatures you can play for their mana cost yeah i mean like against scam like you just play a solitude like if they don't have the terminate you know and you're able to kind of clear blockers out of the way that, that that could be game for them. I will say that one of the things that we um, we we did with the deck and it, you know, Forcey is actually pretty difficult to tune. I would say because so much of the deck is just kind of set in stone, you know, which is weird because it's like a mid range deck. But you 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 know you need you need like twenty four cards to just always be there. Is we just they all kind we, of rely we, on each other? Like yeah, exactly. Can't not play halfling you can't not play four ren and six four to fairies like you have your omnaths you have your rings and it's just like that that's the core of the deck and then the interaction suite is mostly spoken for and once you've written down the must-haves you're like 32 cards in or whatever 
Yeah, I mean, in, innovation for, for us and the, the Forestry deck is just, I'm going to play three Furies in the main deck. But, like, mm. that's that's it. And, you know, and a couple of uh, Spell Pierces in the main deck as well. Like, that's that's how we kind of chose to navigate uh, the creativity matchup and, you know, the, the scam and creativity matchups. Because, like, ultimately, like, when you have... When you have the ring and you have Omnath, it's it's okay that a couple of your cards are dead in certain matchups, because you know as long as you just claw your way to turn four with with right. a, you know a, a decent chunk of your life total intact, you should be able to just snowball your way to the win from there. Can I ask you about the creativity deck in general? Because you referenced it a few times. That's one of the decks that, at least in Magic Online mm-hmm. results, has really fallen off probably i think due to the one ring but i'm like curious to get your take on it in general yeah i mean in in my own in my own testing it's just like it's a very it's a very scary matchup like it, the deck just looks so clunky right like you have these you, you, you first of all you have four archons which if you draw like it, you can yeah. ra- rarely like it's possible like you have fable but you know you have that and then you have uh you have Teferi that you might not be able to cast on time because you need to hold up mana. and But just having that kind of compact like package where you, it's really just like a one-turn combo as long as you don't draw all the, Arch- all the Archons or whatever, like it it just blanks like so much of what the format is doing. And it, it just like brings you back from like being behind, which is, is you know, something that you really want to be able to have in the format, especially when you're not a ring deck. A ring deck. There are definitely sideboard plans as creativity that you could employ. Like, there's a bunch of different creatures you could bring in to be to be stronger in different matchups. I, I didn't test that w- with that deck because I just hadn't considered it, but I, I found it to be very difficult to kind of navigate in testing because even though it's a, you know, it's a creativity deck, they're trying to get the Archon in play, the games just play out you know, completely differently because they do have like a bunch of flexible answers as well. And you need to always watch out for that, you know, that creativity window, but they're also just playing the fairy and a bunch of other like difficult to deal with cards. No. Oh, yeah. I, I think that creativity has traditionally been one of four colors, like worst. Matters. Yep. Yep. I mean, uh, it's interesting because we, we, we did find that uh, Elish Norn, was is pretty good against that deck that's why i that's why i had it in my main deck for a while but it's just it just didn't pull its weight in in other matchups so you know i I put that back in the Mm -hmm. sideboard but in the end like all creativity has to do is just creativity your elish aside from targeting their own stuff and all you know all that work of putting a five drop into play is just ruined so it's kind of like living end where as four color you need to have uh, layers of answers to be able to to deal with them. So you know you need to have the Elish Norn in play. You need to be holding up Hollowed Moonlight. You need to have Dovin's Veto ready to go at some point in the game. It, it's just like a very tough matchup for, for for how clunky their deck looks. So speaking of Living End, so this weekend you know I played a couple of challenges. I played the Saturday challenge and I played the Mono Black deck because I had been playing it a little bit and was just just kind of wanted to try it in a tournament and see if it could sort of stand up to modern in general. Uh, it didn't. It's the the cards <laughs> just aren't like it's just not a a strong Magic the Gathering deck ultimately. So then going into the Sunday challenge, I. Almost got guilted by my chat into just playing burn, which I don't think would have been a bad choice. I think like, you know, we talked about burn 
the other day. Especially since the Sunday challenge is infamously nonsense. Play whatever you want. Yeah. Yeah. But I ended up just playing Living End because I like kind of mapped out a plan for the Rakdos matchup that I wanted to try and also kind of started theorizing about the format where basically like every deck that's reasonable against Rakdos like is bad against Living End. So there it, there's like a little bit of this you know how in pioneer when you're trying to pick a deck and you're like how can i be good against rakdos and how can i be good against mono green you know that was always like a really difficult thing in the format and i'm wondering if you know not that living end is as heavily played as it needs to be to like make this the consideration but when thinking about playing living end and you're just like okay what decks might people play to try to beat rakdos well something like this mono black deck or blue black or four color or what you know these are decks that i'm like pretty comfortable playing against with living end didn't end up working out that way like i you know i top 32 like i went five two but i just like played against sunday challenge decks all day i played against like a delighted halfling primeval titan valakut deck i played against uh a taking turns deck with fires of invention and just like a lot of nonsense i played against rakdos sacrifice and just like mulliganed to leyline of the void against them post board so you know the challenge the sunday challenge is not the best testing ground but i did have to like mention my it's what you know we always see the results of the sunday challenge but experiencing it firsthand is really it's an experience i i recommend highly but you know I, I have been playing a reasonable about an amount of Living End. Sometimes you get bodied, but sometimes you just, like, walk all over people who are, like, over-prepared for other things and just kind of, like, forgot that that this could happen to them. How, how do you feel about the Living End four-color matchup? So I think a lot of people kind of play it badly from the Living End side and, like, let themselves get crushed. And I think that, like, you have to mulligan more aggressively in game one than people do generally even if you don't know what the matchup is like you should be mulliganing to a good hand in game one because you're ahead against everybody as long as your hand like functions properly and it's fine to be on five cards uh if you lose game one to four color then you might as well just like scoop the match because you can't really win two post board games but if you get two shots at the yep. post board games then i think that it's a fine matchup so you just want to make sure not to be like screwing around in your game ones because you win you got to win those and then post board obviously like there's a ton of stuff that can happen to you they are it's a fairy deck with delighted halfling to start and then mm -hmm. they can play some amount of dovin's vetoes some graveyard hate and some you know chalice of the void or whatever they've chosen to bring and obviously that combination once they draw like three copies of those things you you don't really win with your living ends but play carefully don't get to ferried like be on you're on the play for one of the post board games and it's it it's tough reasonably tough for four color to like put it together super consistently so that they you know get both of the post board games but you certainly can't, are not allowed to lose game one if you lose game one then you're you're in a lot of trouble yeah, I mean, that's been my experience from the four colors side as well. I think game one is, is pretty difficult. Like, usually get, like matches where I, I beat uh, Living End in game one consist of me just, like, Im improbably chaining, like, six rings, like, in consecutive turns. <laughs> you know, just, like, naturally drawing them, bouncing them with the fairy. 
yeah, yeah I mean th- th- those games those games are really good and I do feel that like you know the thing about living end is that a lot of a lot of the four color sideboard cards just kind of are co- you know incidentally good against living end so even mm-hmm. if I'm not hard targeting that matchup I, I'm still just gonna have nine to eleven cards to bring in and they all just like right like are so good against they're bangers yeah, yeah for sure I I think it is some it's a relatively even matchup like overall after you take like all the factors in i i don't feel favored against it but i also don't sit down against four color like ugh, this is not Mm -hmm. what i want to play against so the other ring decks though i don't think like have a a reasonable chance at all against living in their sideboards are not equipped to like bring the density of hate that they need to in order to beat a beat living end and so the, you know and so you're ahead against like breach you're ahead against like the various mid-rangey decks with the one ring that probably are going to get bodied at this pro tour anyways and uh so you know comfortable playing this deck generally but probably again if i were qualified for the pro tour this weekend i would probably just be playing burn interesting yeah what, what are some yeah what are some other decks you considered nick uh, and I know you you like mid range four color, so it doesn't have to be you personally. But what decks do you think are strong considerations? Um, I like the the only other deck that I, I was like personally considering it and that I tested you know more than sparingly was Rhinos, and I do think that it, it it's strange because like when 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 people first started playing the One Ring, like there were you know a lot of people just completely discarded Rhinos as an option because how does Rhinos ever beat? Mm-hmm. How, you know, how do they ever beat the one ring but so when the question is like how do you beat the one ring rhinos is not the answer but but when the question is how do you beat bowmasters yeah. then you know rhinos becomes a lot more appealing and you know, we know how awesome lorian revealed is in that deck and how much it does for just like the overall structure you hit your land drops you get to pitch it to your various your your blue spells right right rhinos is in this place where like you have to hit your third land drop but unless you're in a game where you're hard casting furies, like your lands after that are pretty bad. Mm-hmm. So like there's a bunch of games where you would love to just stay at three lands. So, you know, having that kind of like, okay, I did hit five lands this game, but now I do have a draw three that I'm allowed to cast when that happened is like, it's, I've cast a lot of Lorien Revealed in modern and it's pretty good actually. Oh yeah. I mean, it used to be against something like Murktide, you, you know, you do the end of turn, Violent Outburst, they counter it, you do the Shardless Agent, maybe they counter that. And then, you know, maybe they have, like, one threat, and then you just take a turn off to play Lorien Reveal, and, like, what are they supposed to do? Like, hopefully they mm-hmm. have just, like, the biggest Murktide ever to kill you, but otherwise you just, you're just, how how did Rhinos, like, be, like become up on cards versus Murktide? Yeah. It's a huge improvement. Yeah, and the other thing is that like some of some of the sideboard cards that are good against Living End are not as good uh, against Rhinos, right? Like you know, specifically in, in like Endurance is the most obvious example. So, so you do dodge like a little bit, a little bit of the the commonly played hate cards while also being I guess weaker to stuff like Engineered Explosives. But I, I don't know how many like I guess that Scam does play like multiple copies of that card, so. I don't know, like, about the matchup spread of, like, Rhinos or Living End versus Cam, but, yeah, to, for me, it was between Four Color or Rhinos. Gotcha. And not to, like, make you give anybody's secrets away, but if you can think of other decks that p- 
people were like kind of high on and maybe why that would have been that that would also be really interesting yeah i mean there's really nothing nothing too crazy i think that the biggest kind of innovation deck wise that came from that came from various people testing for this event would probably be like the blue black ring deck or or the the kind of like sam food combo deck and you know for what it's worth like i think that deck is super interesting because it's it's a creature combo deck i guess like yogmoth uh that also could just could just play the ring reasonably well and you know i don't know like i don't know the situations where you you have the choice between yogmoth and the the sam combo deck and you you should choose like you should choose the the sam deck over yogmoth like i'm not sure like when that would be true but i do think it's like a very interesting addition to the format because i do i do love me some coco card of calling uh decks and you know i am a bit i'm a bit lazy to learn the the yogmoth loops so I, I feel like I feel like in that in that regard, Sam is is like easier because you can also just like attack uh, with your creatures. Um, oh, and you saw the challenge winning list, the the challenge winning Sam list uh, this weekend. So, and I mean, you may not have because you have other things on your mind. But uh, let me let me look at that. It, it's pretty wild. It's it's four chatter things, four academy manufacturers, oh, yeah, yeah. and three lowest yeah, yeah. cryptozoologists. I, yeah, I saw I saw that. Yeah, that that's just like something, just like completely outside what what I what I had thought possible. Like mm-hmm. I you know I'd, I'd heard of like academy manufacturer decks, but this one is sweet. For what it's worth, I've seen gameplay of this, and I built the deck. Actually, I haven't sleeved for play nice. tomorrow. Uh, <laughs> uh, and it has legitimately impressed me over those similar Sam decks, which I think struggled in those, like I've put creatures onto the table, but I'm not really doing anything kind Uh of games. Whereas this deck, you you could still have those games. Like you just draw a bunch of mana dorks, but uh, the manufacturers produce so much resources Uh for you as well as the uh, chatter fangs. Uh, It's really cool that you can just chatter fang to make green creatures and then use your court of calling, like to kill in the same turn. It's, it's that is, that is sweet. Yeah, and you also have additional, like, combo configurations. You don't actually need... Obviously, Sam is the thing that makes it the easiest, but if you have Alanis and an Academy Manufactor, and then you have Cauldron Familiar and Vis- Viscera Seer, like, that is a kill, too. So if if they are controlling your Sams, you might be able to get there otherwise. But yeah, playing against other versions of the Sam deck, the, can you, the Academy Manufactor has basically always been the scariest thing whenever they put one into play and then you're Mm -hmm. just like okay i hope you can't also make a food this turn and then i need to kill that right now and if like there was one game that i played against it where i didn't properly prioritize killing it just because it would have been like awkward on my mana and used too many resources and i was just like maybe i can just deal with that next turn and that was just like i just lost the game like you can't pass the turn with a an an academy manufacturer in play I have no idea the positioning of this deck in the metagame or anything like that, but it does have some stuff going on for sure. I, I think it's a really interesting take on the Kramo deck with like Coco and yeah. Cord. I, I I'm interested. I'm, I'm I mean I'm playing yeah. it tomorrow, so I'm <laughs> yeah. I mean <laughs> a little invested. Just in another just another reason to just put a bunch more Furies in your decks if you're if you're you know if you're yeah. on the four color scam side. Well, I think scam. Is already like, like if these scam decks could play six furies, they would have yeah. done it by now. Like, <laughs> but yeah, no, I do agree that furies stock has risen pretty significantly. 
like the version of living in that I played in the challenge, like I did put two furies in my sideboard. And as part of this, like not necessarily transformational plan, but like my, my sideboard plan with living in against Rakdos is to not bring in ley lines of the void and to take out all of my force of negations and my griefs because I want my draw step to always be a card that like has an effect on the game basically. And although grief turn one is decent to good against Rakdos, anytime you draw grief after that, it's like generally pretty miserable. So, uh, I'm just boarding in like I have two subtleties main deck so go up to four subtleties and bring in a couple foundation breakers bring in a, like two fable of the mirror breakers and two furies and then after playing a little more and thinking a little more about it I am kind of thinking that maybe the deck's just supposed to have four furies in the sideboard and because you know fury is a red card for fury most of the reason for the fable in the sideboard is to be a red card for fury and it's probably just more efficient to put four furies in your sideboard <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I've also seen, it's interesting, like, I've also seen Rhino's decks just cut, uh, like, they've started cutting Furies from the deck, and, you know, they, you, you got to play the Forlorian reveal, there's, there's a bunch of, you know, cards that you have to play in that deck, but I would definitely want to go back to the days of just jamming a set of Fury in the Rhino's deck. Well, and, you know, the, the thing that the Rhino's decks are doing with the like four main deck subtleties is also kind of like trying to do a similar thing. Yeah. You know, I don't need to fury you if I can keep your fury from getting onto the board as quick. Yeah. You know, but fury still just like cleans up and, and does a ton of work. Yeah. I mean, there's just talking about scam. Like I, I do think that like one of the, one of the best ways to, to kind of deal with, with scams presence in the format is to just maybe mm-hmm. like realize that you just can't mulligan. Yeah. So, <laughs> Like you, 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 like especially with four color, right? Like you just keep just like the most awful looking hands because they have like a halfling and a bunch of lands, and you know, you know, mm-hmm. whatever, like whatever the two best cards are in your hand just don't matter, and as long as you can actually cast spells, you might end up ahead. Right. Get lands in place so that you can draw Omnath or draw the One Ring, and then and it's not a dead card when you draw it because you missed your fourth land drop or whatever. So Fury also good because. I, I think Yawgmoth is a very good deck right now. That is, I don't know how widely adopted it will be, but it is strong, and the players who are like who pick up Yawgmoth when it's good are probably mostly going to be picking it up right now. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I agree. The only people playing Yawgmoth are going to be the people who have been playing. It. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. What else? What other thoughts about the format should we hit on? Yeah. Is there anything we haven't touched on? that you that came up in testing or any, any decks you think are completely unplayable that other people might not expect anything like that well i mean i i, I think that i think that it, it's going to be like modern especially is one of those formats where you're just rewarded for for having played a deck for as long as possible it's it's, it's also interesting because like a bunch of these decks are relatively new so so we're looking at kind of like the the advent of like modern horizons too for like when when decks like four color or as, as the start of the format exactly as the start <laughs> as the start of the format so so you know it's going to be interesting to see like how many people actually bring decks like rhinos because they think they're good versus people who bring rhinos because maybe they qualified through another format and, and haven't played that much modern like i don't know i don't know how how necessarily true that's going to be because like in a lot of places modern is just like the most popular format but um like i, I am definitely a person who 
is has not like a modern main and who hasn't played a ton of modern and so like farsi is almost my default because that's just what i played like since the yorian days since like if i you know, i used to play like cryptic command scapeshift uh you know mm-hmm. when, when that was a thing before before omnath was even was even printed mystic sanctuary oh oh yeah i mean the, the, <laughs> that, that 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 mystic sanctuary like time warp version of i know you're a big Uro fan oh yeah i mean <laughs> yeah i mean I, I could i could just chill like big big four color all all day if 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 i if i could but yeah like in terms of decks like i don't think like i don't think that there's going to be any like huge surprises like people are going to be playing scam people are going to be, be playing creativity i i do think that um four color is like weirdly just like kind of flying under the radar because like a lot of people just think it's bad right now and um i think if you look at its place in the format at least from you know from our kind of evaluation of where where it stands um it's it's bad against creativity but it's not that bad and it's at least to me it's favored against scam uh be for the reasons that 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 we discussed and the only matchups that i would just be like very scared of facing would be Tron and basically just any bigger ring deck like Valakut. So yeah, I mean, uh, maybe if that's the case, maybe I should have just played or I should have just submitted creativity. Maybe maybe that was the move. But um, I just kind of like showing up to the to the tournament with the, with the one ring and a bunch of furies. I think I don't, and and this may be a consequence of my general deck choices, which just the decks that I play in modern are rarely vulnerable to creativity, whereas the deck that you play in modern is is a little bit vulnerable to creativity. So my like general perception of the power level of creativity is that it is, you know, I, I like I guess I just regard it as a slightly worse deck than maybe you regard it as because I tend to play decks that are better against it i do mm-hmm. and and you know you have more experience with this than i do i do think that the ring has impacted that matchup but specifically between four color and creativity pretty significantly four color is one of the big reasons to play or it was one of the big reasons to play creativity for a certain time and you know it's just one was one of its very good matchups but i think the ring kind of like moved the needle on that one so four color probably still behind, but it moved it from somewhere like to put uh, some fake numbers on it. But maybe it was a matchup that was somewhere in the 30 percent. Uh, and then I think it's probably like in the mid 40s for four color or something like that now. And, you know, so maybe still disfavored, but you're not getting crushed by it in the way that you were once upon a time. So so that that is that like, that would be true, except that. Like we've been testing against creativity with a bunch of different sideboard jukes, so mm. so you know th- playing the wondering, I'm not super scared of Archon, and it's like much easier to kind of play around that. But when you're when when your opponent creativity is into Sundering Titan and sure. Elishnorn, you know when they have their own Elishnorn, it, it kind of becomes a whole different game where okay. you know you're worrying about, about a bunch of different things and. Um, you know, I, I, I love I love that aspect of modern where the card booth is so big that you can pretty much just like, you know, like reach into your bag of tricks and just pull out like I will play this combination of creativity targets that beats this deck specifically. You know, like y- you could even that that deck played just like Sarah's emissary for for different matchups back then, and th- you could play 
Thrasted on, I don't know, like, like the Emberful, yes, exactly. Yeah. There's just like a bunch of fatties yeah. that that you could play to kind of help help you against a particular matchup. And I found that the like the, that the whole sun sun drink Titan plan is very difficult for four color to deal with. That was the one thing that I actively liked about the mono black deck was this inevitability you had against four color because at some point you'd resolve a Karn. Minus get Sundering mm-hmm. Titan, play Sundering Titan, and then they just you, you just won the game after that. Uh, like regardless of what had happened along the lines, like along the the turns, like you just would get there with Sundering Titan. So yeah, definitely uh, decks that are capable of doing that. That like that that is a really powerful plan. You know, I wouldn't recommend Mono Black though, based on that. I I do like have this just general dislike of creativity against the like force of negation part of the metagame. But I guess, you know, if, if you expect that part of the metagame to be reduced, then I I guess it is possible, but creativity has not been doing well online, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's, it's not going to be a good choice for the pro tour. Yeah. I am generally very poor at metagame predictions. Um, I, sure. I think that's, a, I think that's the symptom of me just like mono jamming, like mid range decks. So <laughs> um, that, that, that's definitely something that I'm going to have to work on. If I ever am allowed to set foot in another country for a tournament. <laughs> yeah, I think, oh, I mean, while we're still on the creativity little train, I think the, a lot of the, the scam uprise has not been kind to that deck either. I think the problems with creativity are a lot of mitigating factors around the format shifting rather than it being like just straight up weaker. That's that's really what I think about the deck. Yeah, it definitely does. Ha- yeah, it has problems against Cam. Yeah, because it's good matchups are still good. It's just that there people aren't playing as many of them mm-hmm. anymore. Mm-hmm. Like I guess like the to put it like to kind of end that that portion. Like one of my one of my favorite parts about watching modern testing is like especially against Cam is like you get to see how each deck like does like the struggle like the struggle game against scam <laughs> and, mm-hmm. you know like you'll, you'll see living and just like trying its best to reach six lands to play an, an ant or something and that just like doesn't <laughs> yes. doesn't doesn't happen you know they play like an ar- like an architect of wills and you know hope that's that's good enough and what i love is that mm-hmm. like like a legitimate plan of creativity against scam is to just like chomp with a dwarf until you you find something to cast and it, it's just like so funny how how decks just need to like scrap just to like enact their game plan against like a seasoned pyromancer like like if i can just block this seasoned pyromancer for one more turn i i can get out of this hole i can i can hard cast this archon of cruelty or whatever <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> the dwarf tokens do match up really well against ragavan and those games are always really you just have a Ragavan really and you're looking at blood fetch moon. lands. Yes, no, the Blood Moon is good for sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Stupid mountain deck, bad against Blood yeah. Moon. I mean, I have I have gotten punished by casting Blood Moon in, in in a way that that I just like don't have all my basics set up, but I needed to cast it. Yeah, and then, and then they just go like Fable into creativity, and it's just like, well, okay, like you, you <laughs> did you did you did the thing that punished my Blood Moon. Yeah, I, I like I, I am not, no longer a believer in in playing Blood Moon in like a lot of different matchups. Like even even Tron, like it, it, they just get out of it so easily. The, yeah, the the lower curve and the 
Also, Bloodmoon is not quite what it used to be. Like, it's good in practice because you've got a bunch of other stuff going on, but in most decks, like in Merktide's <laughs> sideboard, for instance, you're kind of just playing it because it's a sideboard card and you're only two colors. It's not really like the heavy hitter you're bringing in against half the metagame or whatever. Yeah, I mean, Blood Moon's like stock definitely like sunk when when you started seeing Tron decks just like being happy to go like turn to Forest Sylvan Scrying like get a Busseju. It's like oh no, <laughs> like what? Yeah. Mm. No, the the existence of Busseju in Tron like significant like Blood Moon is barely even a good card against that anymore. It's still good out of Rakdos specifically because combining. A hate card and scamming or even just thought seizing is an effective strategy yeah. but a, a lot of times the like if you're planning on playing any reasonable number of turns against tron like they will get out of the blood moon like they were always able to but now it's inevitable that they will do it because of busaju and uh also right that there is a very weird change to the tron sequencing now where because of the existence of the one ring, they're not as like desperate to rocket to turn three Tron and they don't need to mulligan to five for those Tron pieces anymore because the one ring can bridge them. And if if you have, you know, you're under a little bit of pressure or whatever, you you cast something that interacts, you cast a ring like you hit Tron on turn four. And so you go like ring oblivion stone or whatever. And then that's really hard for your opponent to deal with. Or you miss on Tron, cast a ring, and then you make Tron, and now you have a bunch of cards to cast with your Tron. Like, it, you don't have to mulligan as aggressively with Tron anymore, which is a really interesting part of how that deck plays out. And I think improves it. I don't know if it improves it enough for it to be a force, but my like hot take prediction for this pro tour is that there's going to be a, a burn deck in top eight and there's going to be a tron deck in top eight i think like just looking at looking at the modern format right now like i really really like what lord of the rings has has done to it i mean if you look at if if you look at like you know modern horizons too like what that did was like it basically reset the format right like it just like created a, a whole bunch of new decks whereas like lord of the rings it just made a bunch of different decks better and like notably it, it just changed how you have to play different matchups. Like, you know, the ring, I don't think is oppressive. Bowmasters is just like an awesome card. Like they're not, they're not going to, I don't think that they're going to get banned or whatever, but like it, it, it just without changing too many decks, it, it just changed how you have to approach like your turns in different matchups. And I think that's the kind of shakeup that I, like I really enjoy. And it, I think it's just also good for the format in general, where if you were a Tron player before, you don't have to change your Tron deck too much. You do have to shell out, you know, like for, for four <laughs> rings, but it, it's more <laughs> it's that like, like you need to just like refresh. Like you have to, you have to like rethink how you, how you play your turns out. And like that, that's super cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I was skeptical with the one rings introduction to modern. Cause there's a, like one week of hype where everyone's really high on it, me included, but I think it and Bowmasters have really just added to and, and delighted halfling as the non bowmasterable mana dork now uh, i think all three of those cards have really added to the format they're also just really well balanced against each other like uh, like that, that that is that is super mm -hmm. cool like they just you, you, we used to have standard sets like where you'd like we'd, they'd release this like busted card and then you'd have to wait like two or three sets for the 
for the card that they countered that strategy. But if, you know, when you just release them both in the same set and they're both just sweet playable cards in their own right, <laughs> that's just like, it, yeah. yeah, that's just like a really good thing for the format. So yeah, very happy. Like the, mo- the modern testing has been, has been really fun. Well, good. I'm glad that you enjoyed it. Well, is there anything else we should hit on? Or, I mean, that feels pretty good to me. I'm quite happy with everything we talked about this episode. So unless anybody has anything bouncing around in their head that they want to get out here. I mean, Lee, what what would you register in the Pro Tour if you were qualified? Ooh, that would require me to have played more than just a handful of modern games in the past couple of weeks to make that decision. (laughs) But (laughs) uh, assuming I had tested... For a few months, I would probably play Yawgmoth or Breach, depending on what I was more comfortable with at the at the time. Like I, I think I'm just the most comfortable with those decks, and I like playing them a lot. And I'm I'm not the kind of person who can play Scam or Four Color. Like that's just not the way I go. Yeah, and I'm 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 just the opposite. Like <laughs> there, there's a like I, I would avoid those decks, not because I think they're bad or anything. I think Scam is probably the best deck in the format, not by a lot, but just currently based on results. Uh, I just tend to not play those decks a very good clip. So I would just tend to avoid it and focus on something I'm a little better at. Well, cool. I am excited to watch the PT this weekend. Uh, I will be co-streaming probably the constructed rounds of Swiss and then what I can manage to do of the top eight given the, the timing. So would love to see people come hang out and watch that i know jarvis is going to stop by for at least some of that and nick i don't know what you're up to or it, it is really weird timing wise i hope I don't you're playing know. in the pro tour yeah i that, hope that, you're playing in nice. the pro tour. That, yeah <laughs> but you know if you and i don't know if you're on like uh i, I know at, at one point you were on a u.s time schedule so if you have if you want to stop by during any part of the pt co-stream i would be happy to to have you on to chat yeah i I will if i'm around i will stop by hell yeah i think that's it for us thanks everybody for listening we really really appreciate your time have a great week bye good luck nick hope you get a nice letter yeah thank you (laughs) crossing my fingers really hard for that yeah i hope so